peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back, everybody, all you loyal listeners, to another episode of the Softly Performance Podcast. With me today are my two most esteemed co-hosts. We have Brooke West, the patron saint of thing one and thing two, handler of nonsense and the queen of patience. Thank you. Thank you and good morning. (laughs) 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 And then I have George Christopher Briones III joining us all the way from his den in San Diego, California. He is our director of programming knowledge and master of all things programming fitness related and my co-host. So that trumps whatever that's about to come out of his mouth. Okay, ready? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm waiting oh. for my intro. Where's my intro? Well, I thought you were supposed so, to introduce me. Hello, everybody. We're welcome back again. Like I said, love the intro, Chris. Thank you so much. Um, Chris actually is not the host or the of the show. He's actually the DJ of the Softly Performance Podcast. And before the show we started, we had this conversation. It was like, there's no DJs in podcasters, none of that stuff. And if we're going to be going ahead on absolutes, you're 100% correct. Technically, then that makes since I since I manage the soundboard and the audio, I, I am the... Soundboard I, operator? I'm the producer. You just go ahead and call yeah. producer. I produce the podcast. Okay. So I am the I am a co-host with the three of you, and I produce the podcast. So that do you just, feel more important now, that Chris? Just, that yeah, just, do you feel it? That makes me, <laughs> that makes you, me better than everyone, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm okay with it. We're going to go ahead and push that for no one. Chris is the producer thank of the Solid Performance thank Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so today's episode, uh, we are talking all things adaptation. And for those of you guys who, I guess to make this all matter to all of you who are listening to this podcast, adaptation is what you all are seeking. Like when you guys tell us your goals, whether I want to lose five pounds, I want to lose 50 pounds, or I want to gain 500 pounds on my back squat, or even because even if I want a, a six pack come summertime, what you're talking about is you're talking about a stress adaptation, right? So, you know, your body adapts to the stress that you put it under, whether that's through eating, whether that's through training. And the end result or your goal is a result of stress adaptation, right? So so to put that all in perspective for you guys, when we use the term adaptation, you might as well substitute it with hashtag New Year's goals, right? Because we are going (laughs) to be talking basically how to manage and how to get the adaptation that you want and more specifically how the Softly Programming directs itself towards a certain type of adaptation and how those adaptations begin to evolve over time as you grow to be more of an athlete. Because, you know, we talk about this whole idea of, you know, one size doesn't fit all, one size fits most, but none, like what is true, no matter what, whether you are an athlete to a seasoned athlete, or you're just coming off the couch, your adaptations over time are going to change and the demands on your system that are going to be required in order for you to get certain adaptations are going to change over time. So 
what we're going to kind of dive into today um, is the idea behind how we structure our training, how we structure our nutrition, and how those things and those concepts evolve over time, all again going after those specific adaptations that we want in our life. So <sighs> to kick that off, um, I will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, punt this one over to George to go ahead and start with a... George, tell us about training adaptation and how, you know, so there's different kinds of training adaptations and how maybe some of our, you know, different types of programs address different types of training adaptations. Ready, go. Ready, go. So thank you. I have the, I'm now on offense. Thank you, buddy. Hey, awesome. First off, great introduction. I think it's adaptations and one of those things that I think a lot of, a lot of coaches and just, we have this cock all the time is like, what is the best realm or best route to help the athlete adapt to whatever stimulus we're giving them? And at the end of the day, right, it's pure chaos. And if we, we have the control as the coaches and as, as athletes and humans to control this chaos, to give us this long-term adaptation that one, that we're all seeking at the same time, though, a lot of people end up seeing it as this, right? We end up looking at it and be like, cool, I want to improve my 5k runtime. And I have a race or a, a test I got to do in four weeks. I'm going to go ahead and now and start doing nothing but high intensity sprint work so I can improve that. And what ends up happening is we end up creating this adaptation that actually now ends up going up a little bit faster than we wanted to. And then we all of a sudden see it drop after it's been completed. Again, is that a right or wrong way to do so? No, it, it, it gets you your goal. It gets you the adaptation that you're looking for but it doesn't give you that term that I use as long-term adaptation. And, and, and something that I want, I've been you know, really digging deep into lately, especially as getting, getting into the realm of training for this 200-mile race and getting ready to like make sure my body's working well. And all the podcasts that we've had recently about, you know, about nutrition and about hormone balance and how to regulate you know, overtraining and overstressed and to really get that idea of like that super compensation of our adaptations that we need when we're moving forward in training. And you know, if none of you guys have taken a seminar with me and Chris, but me and Chris hit this hard every single time, and we talk about the gas, right? And if you never heard of the gas, we talk about the general adaptation syndrome, right? And the general adaptation syndrome is actually just the process of what happens with stress over time when you're utilizing something on a smaller level, right? For a particular movement, exercise, training day, or whatever else. But when we go ahead and look at long-term adaptation, we go ahead and want to stack all these small pieces of general of the, of the gas, right? A model implemented across the board so that we continue seeing ourselves, you know, adapt to everyday lifestyle and everyday training. And that's kind of where I want to go ahead and bring this a full circle is because we have a lot of athletes who come to us who are like, hey, I want to improve my push-up pull-up time. I want to improve my endurance. I want to improve my strength. I want to do A, B, C, and D. And the first thing, and I know I, for me, and I know you do it too, Chris, and, and I'm pretty sure Brooke does this with her nutrition clients that come onto the app and ask these questions. But the first question is, is like, one, what is your weakness and what is your strength and what are you doing this for? Even though they've given us some of it, but reiterating that makes them think about what they really want based off just a pure email. And then from there, we can go ahead and put them in the right process or the right route to see the proper adaptations that we believe will give the athlete long term through the softlete programming the app, right? And we're going to go ahead and break this down into I like to consider it like cardiovascular adaptation, right? Because we do need the heart to go ahead and make us better. 
and make us stronger and make us adapt and handle stress. And that's one big thing that I'm learning right now from being in this full endurance realm. Yes, am I strength training, but I'm able to manage strength training, doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, rock climbing, being a father, working to do all this stuff and still able to train this way because I'm understanding how to manage my stressors so I can promote that long-term adaptation. It's something that Chris has done really well. We call, what, do we, what do we end up calling it? The whole athlete approach is what we're talking about now? Just just the overall the modern day badass is yeah just, literally right the modern day badass right it's like <laughs> it's just, well no i think what you're I, what you're talking about is is especially as a soft league coach you're right we get questions all the time when it comes to like what program do i need to do to do 50 different things right and and i get it like everyone wants to be able to be really good at all the things but depending on where you're at in your athletic journey and depending on you know, the the quote-unquote adaptation that you're looking for, you have to understand that stress adaptation takes place in small phases, right? So if you yep. are brand new to working out, if you are brand new to the softly programming, we have to take baby steps with our stress adaptation. So what this means is that it's great, it is great to dream, right? It is great to dream big. If you are coming off the couch, I wouldn't set a goal to run a 50-miler within a couple months, Right. Let's let let is because when we when we talk about managing stress across the board, we talk about creating a routine that is solid enough that allows us to continuously turn the stress volume knob from one slowly to two, slowly to three. And it, and it requires a lot of stuff, a lot of not sexy stuff that uh, that you guys are probably not thinking about, but nonetheless, will be the ultimate determining factor on whether or not you can take on more stress. And I'll give you an example. Um, a while back, we had a guy on our podcast um, who, he's my training partner, good friend of mine, Christian Hines, and he he talked about, you know, he, he's been able to do some really unique athletic things. Um, and, and he started his training journey. And the one thing that sticks out, he started his training journey by literally just waking up and drinking a glass of water every day. Right. And it and it seems small, right? But he but he got into a routine of at least getting up early enough and just doing one thing. And then that one thing led to two things, and that two things led to three things. And even something as small as drinking a glass of water, but ensuring you're properly hydrated and actually ready to train was a way that he was able to maximize on his stress adaptation and now you know, coming up to a 300-pound snatch, and hopefully we can get him to break the world record standing box jump here maybe in a couple months. Um <laughs> But the idea is, is that when we talk about stacking our stress adaptations, the first thing that we begin with, and George hit on it a little bit, but he used the term cardiovascular stress or load, right? Because the first thing that happens, like when you, if you guys are coming off the couch, getting into this lifestyle, and and you get and you start moving, the first thing that happens is your heart starts to beat faster. Right, because there's a greater demand of oxygen to the system. There's a great demand to the muscles, but but this heart muscle continuously has to work harder. It's the first thing that really has to work hard on the path to becoming whatever it is we want to become. Whether that's to run a mile or fifty miles, being able to manage a cardiovascular load is the first thing that happens. And I think that's one thing that. A lot of people, and this is where, you know, for you guys coming in training, if you're new to training, you have to check your ego at the door because if you can't, if you don't manage this cardiovascular load well, 
you're going to find yourself burning out pretty quickly. You're not going to be able yeah. to get the oxygen to your muscles. You're not going to be able to train as long and as hard as you think you can, despite the fact that your heart might, your heart in quotes, might be in the right place. It's not. It's <laughs> not trained enough to manage the stress that you're trying to put on the system. So, if anything, what we're emphasizing is that this has to you know start small and then slowly work big and. And with cardiovascular load specifically, um, what we found, especially when we start toying around with the idea of, you know, your resting heart rate and, you know, the benefits of maintaining some sort of cardiovascular fitness, despite the fact you might be a, a strongman power lifter or whomever, you're able to train longer and harder sessions if you manage some relative baseline of a cardiovascular load. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to be a strong man who also runs ultra marathons, but you do need to manage some sort of cardiovascular output regardless of your training domain. And I think, and, and for those of you guys who do follow our programming, this is why we have stamina portions in all of our training systems, whether that's the strength team that's designed for you know maximal strength output, or that's the stamina team that is designed basically on cardiovascular output or aerobic capacity. Um, but nonetheless, like this this idea that you have to maintain some you know relatively high baseline to take on the rest of your training, it starts with the heart. If I'm, yeah. if I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, and, and this goes back to the general meditation syndrome, right? The stages of it, and, and this is the problem. Everyone, and I love, like Chris says it all the time whenever we're teaching seminars, he's like, you don't get stronger, faster, or better by working out more. You get stronger, faster, and better by recovery, right? And this kind of goes into the next topic of, of why do we get better from recovery? And it's just the way that the body works, right? Like I said before, our body needs chaos, but if, again, it doesn't need uncontrolled chaos. It needs controlled chaos from the realm of like helping this athlete move forward in the right direction. Because uncontrollable chaos, yes, is it good to an extent? Yes, it makes you better. It teaches you positive and negative reinforcements. It does all this. But at the same time, though, when we go back to this idea of long-term adaptation, we got to do this again in very small approaches. And it's the same thing with nutrition, Brooke. I know we haven't had you jump in here yet, and I would love to hear you talk about this, but let me go ahead and talk real quick on the stages because this is where I, I feel like a lot of athletes miss the mark. And once we kind of start explaining to them like the stages of the gas model, they're like, oh, that makes sense, right? And, and it goes into this. And the first stages we look at is the alarm phase. And this is our fight or flight response. And whenever we teach seminars, I try and open this up with some kind of scare tactic or dropping a, a, a 45 pound plate on the floor or whatever else to kind of spike that system so they know what it feels like so they understand and that's kind of that realm and from there we have two responses there we're either going to go ahead and check out the situation and what's going on and we're either going to go ahead and cut back because it's not a major situation that we need to go ahead and get stay in that fight mentality or we're going to be like all right cool we're now going to go into our resistance phase where that resistance phase is pretty much where we're training at right your body is fighting all this unwanted stress or stress that you're giving so that you're able to build the proper adaptations you need. So spending too much time in the resistance phase will lead you either to overtraining or exhaustion, 
right? And this is where you have to find that happy medium because it's okay throughout the week to go ahead and put yourself into this exhaustion phase. Because again, without exhaustion and without recovery and without these resistance phase, we don't see this super composition of, re of recovery and adaptation of what our, our goal is at the end of the day, right? So from there, the goal is to go ahead and be in this resistance phase for a certain time period. And then the goal is to have enough energy in the back end to get into this resistance stage, or I'm sorry, the recovery stage, which ends up helping us recover. Again, will we go into exhaustion phase? Correct, but it's all about how long we stay in there and how fast we can get into recovery. And when we go and look at the programming that we put out today and how we put it out since day one, you guys will see this. We have some kind of warm-up or movement prep which causes that alarm phase, right? That alarm stage is, okay, cool, we're warming the system up, we're doing what we want, we're getting ourselves, getting ready to dip below our regular homeostasis, and now we're coming back up over into this resistance phase. During that resistance phase, you're doing your strength, your stamina, your accessory work, your core work, and then all of a sudden now, from there, we get into the exhaustion phase as you're cooling down, and the goal is to get you back into that recovery stage as fast as possible with recovery protocols. It could be breathing work, movement flow work, it could be mobility, it can be anything, but the goal is to get you back into this parasympathetic response, our drive to see the recovery that is needed so that now we're spending, instead of spending, you know, 19 hours in recovery because you spent two hours in the gym and you forgot to do your recovery protocol. Now it's taking longer to get into a recovery stage. Now I can train for an hour and now I have 22 hours of recovery instead of 19 hours. Those three hours do add up over the, over the week in that realm of what it looks like to see the proper adaptation. So again, it kind of brings that back that whole athlete approach or to be that badass athlete. And I'm kind of in the realm now calling it to become this apex athlete, right? That we've kind of developed on the softly programming where we've seen guys go from a strong man athlete to running an ultra to six weeks later or four weeks later doing a, a strong man competition taking first. Having athletes do weightlifting competitions, go run an ultra or run an endurance event four to five weeks later and flip flop. So it's one of those things where, you know, it's huge in the idea of like, how do we create this long-term adaptation so everyone's able to do everything across the board? And I, I think that we're doing a really good job of that through the programming. Okay. So yes, I, uh, I know we've, we've kind of, we've left the, the patron saint of thing one and thing two in the corner. I would be curious. And if, if I can, I can frame the discussion in the form of a question, because I'm, how would you describe the varying stages of kind of like nutritional requirement from someone who is kind of just starting out and then towards, you know, someone who's a little bit more on the experience side? And how does that change over time depending on, you know, activity level, lifestyle, like where should I start if I'm just starting out? This might come as a shock to most people because when they jump in, they want to pick some extreme goal. Like, I'm going to do the Hulk bulk. I'm going to do the super cut. And it's like... Super cut! Like, no. You <laughs> actually... I, I recommend everyone start at the maintenance level, which is the baseline right in the middle of what your body should need to maintain all of its function along with your activity level, which is assumed to be of moderate intensity which most of the programs are. Um, and so we're, so that's where I, I think people should actually start because you don't want to jump in and make all these changes. And what's really awesome is people will see really great changes just staying at their maintenance level because they're going to see different body composition changes through training. Well, and that's, and that's, 
yeah, we talked about that. With we had, um, gosh, two episodes ago the um the overtraining and under eating right because most like most people when they approach training especially when they do it from a goal standpoint is they'll they usually overshoot the training and they undercut the calories which at some point in time lowers the metabolic rate to the point where their body's holding on to everything you're like why am i not losing weight anymore well it's literally because you can't tank one and ramp up the other if i'm exactly picking up what you're putting down um, which, I, which is a super valuable, and I, I hope everyone understands that point because especially when, with the Softly uh, Nutrition app, the app evolves as you evolve, right? So, like, you know, you're you're talking about something that you have to continuously adjust as you go. And we, I mean, we're, we're not advocating. We don't want to start, <laughs> start Brooke down on don't want her to lose her queen of patient status if I bring up <laughs> terms like keto and all these other fad diets but we're not advocating for, for a particular diet what we're advocating for is the the good old-fashioned M word of moderation somewhere between you know what like the lowest amount you need and just gorging yourself you know just that that normal output that allows your metabolism to still remain active, but at the same time, you know, fueling you with the right quality of food uh, that will allow you to, you know, still maintain a decent performance output. But like, yeah, and I, I think, it, I mean, it plays into so many podcasts that we've done so far because nothing has really changed in the realm of good old fashioned working hard and eating healthy. Like, Except that, I mean, people just don't want to do it. Right. I, that well, sounds really harsh, it, but I'm serious. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is because it, and and the reason why I think is, is everyone has a lot of success with these things up front, and then the successes become smaller and more spread apart. You know, and I, you know, especially when it comes on the on the training aspect of it, you know, if you're if you're an advanced person, like it's gonna take you maybe one to two training cycles to add five to ten pounds to your lift. And where you is, you could hit that as a beginner in your beginner gains within the first four weeks, you know. And, and I think being able to manage that expectation across the board is super important. And and what we've found is, you know, the like to to use a, another M word as an example, but um, but mobility is a concept that you know, a lot of people I think misunderstand because it's not like someone is mobile. That doesn't mean that they're flexible. That means that they can maximize the positions that they need to get into in order to put up bigger numbers. You know, I, Mike Bergner said that you need, you need three things in order of precedence to be a successful weightlifter. Strength was actually the third one. Mobility and speed were the first two. So, you know, yeah, when you're a beginner, you're learning how to just do the list, right? We, we've distinguished an earlier podcast between this structural adaptation and this neural adaptation uh, in learning how to do all these new movements. But as you progress in your training, if you want these other adaptations or better, bigger, you know, adaptations, you're going to have to deviate from just the thing itself. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that... It's definitely something you're right. Like I think it's it's not the best do the least or the most amount of the least sexiest work, right? Yeah. Big lifts always look sexy. Everything leading up to the big lift does not. You know, and you know, you will never find in my mind an elite athlete who you know ignores these concepts, 
you know, and, and who just does the thing and that's it, right? Like, you know, you have to be, and especially, especially when it comes to, you know, if you want to talk, bring it all back to the whole stress management aspect of it all, you know, if you look at mobility like a, like a window, a, a quote unquote range of motion, and that range can be either a great range, a big range or a narrow range. If you're, if you're new and your range of motion is limited and you are trying to express your strength and conditioning through a limited range of motion, then you are more than likely going to overtax that particular muscle group in a way that is just, it's too much, right? So I need to expand my, you know, neuromuscular control over a greater range of motion that allows me to balance stress across the board. I mean, you can, you know, the longer the bed of the truck, the more I can haul, right? And then the bigger the engine has to be and the more I can haul. So like, you are you are increasing your body's ability to absorb and handle stress, right? So if you want to be on this apex, badass, special forces, whatever training program, uh, you need to be able to absorb a wide load of stress. So I hope that like, does that all kind of make sense? Co-host? Yeah. And, and this kind of goes into the idea too. And Brooke, you have something before I kind of go into my I just think um, I'm going to say I'll, I'll group it into the two major groups I see when people come wanting to make nutrition changes. I think people are willing to put the work into the gym because it's one to two hours a day versus nutrition. It's harder because we're constantly around food. Uh, it's in our homes. It's our social gatherings are based around it. Our holidays are based around it. I see usually two big things and I want to point it out so people are aware of which they fall into and to just think about how they want to proceed. Usually I see people that are actually under eating and they have stalled in whatever their goals are, whether it's performance based or it's weight loss based, they're under eating and they have completely stalled out where they are. Or the other thing I see is right on over the top. It's where they're eating too much, usually because they just don't understand the types of food and the caloric load of them. So then that's why I really recommend, I know it's not going to sound like, you know, soft nutrition definitely doesn't offer a quick fix. That's not what our message is about. That's not what we're trying to do. And people want to jump in and pick extreme goals and they're not realizing that all they do is they're right on the outskirts and all they need to do is hit that maintenance level and they're going to see increased performance. They're going to see body composition changes and they're going to reach their goals. So it's not just kind of like think small, think small, like small yeah. changes really, really make a difference uh, when it comes to those nutrition habits. And I just really wish people kind of understood um, if it's offering you lose 10 pounds in 10 days, it's probably bullshit. If it's, if it's offering you a quick fix, then you're not really, you're not really thinking in this whole athlete approach of what's really good for me, my longevity, and going to allow me to live my life to the fullest. And that brings me back to this top, this, this, this quote I use all the time. You guys hear me say it all the time and especially on the podcast, but micro movement dictates macro movement, right? Like the smallest things that we can focus on is going to go ahead and carry over and build these building blocks to this macro aspect of what we're trying to do. And it kind of goes back to the same idea with how we write programming for softly, 
right? When we think about this long-term adaptation, you know, for example, Chris brought up a great example about the idea between the basic athlete and the advanced athlete. We have multiple ranges of athletes from training ages of either six months or less or six months and on. And even athletes who've been with us for two to three years now. And those athletes who have been with us for two to three years are still seeing progress within our programming due to the fact of consistency that they're following the programming. Again, might not be to a T, but they're following like about 80 to 80% of the time they're following it. Because again, let's be real here, life happens. And the great thing about that now though, is that we understand as coaches and as a company that there are, there are approaches to making athletes continue progressing. For instance, um, you know, whenever me and Bill or Chris and we sit down and talk about program and we put the, these programs together, we want to make sure like, hey, George, this week's this this cycle is going to be focusing on what oh, I'm going to be focusing on hypertrophy and strength building. I don't want to focus on any power work. I'm going to be doing this. And then Bill or Chris will come in and be like, all right, cool. This program is going to be about strength, power and, 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 and power building. Right. Because now we can cater off what I just did hypertrophy work to help the athlete move forward again. That might be across 24 weeks of programming, but again, the athlete will see this adaptations and, and, and we'll see that their maximum recovering volume, their MRV, raised from being at this low level to this higher level because now we've actually developed the proper sports-specific adaptations and the cardiovascular adaptations so they can handle this work when they get into, let's say, a follow-on program right? Or whatever it is. For example, like I wrote a, for the stamina cycle, we have a, a Lannis program. And then from there, we tell everyone to go check out the, the Bella Wolf program. Why? Because the Lannis program is going to help build that cardiovascular endurance and get you ready for that with getting some speed in there. But then the Bella Roof program is going to come and give you that power that you need to actually drop the hammer after you've completed this 24 week program. Again, does everyone have 24 weeks? No. But that's how we look at our programming because, again, we want to make sure that everybody is getting the proper adaptation they need in their life to continue moving forward. Again, that's, that's kind of the goal there, right? We look at this, uh, this evolution of human performance and nutrition, and, and if we want to continue moving the staple forward with what we're doing in the human performance realm, this is the idea that we must continue moving forward with. And athletes need to understand that so when they do come to us and they do understand like, okay, cool, these guys ain't trying to give me no bang for my buck within 12 weeks. Yes, will it give me some cool gains within this 12 weeks? Yes. Will it give me some of the things that I'm working towards? Yes. But understand that you also got to continue being consistent across the board to see these adaptations be long term. You know, and right, no, you're you're exactly right. And I, you know, you even to go as far as to say that you know, we use the term athlete to to describe a very blanket population of people. You know, if in and there, I will draw a distinct line between seeking out adaptations and seeking out the right adaptations for yeah. you. And and I, because you know what what we're talking about here is when we structure training, what we're doing is we're ultimately talking about creating a certain amount of stress on a particular energy system that we feel is necessary. Excuse me, in order to perform at a certain level, right? You know, depending on what type of athlete you are whether you're a strongman athlete, whether you're a CrossFit athlete, or whether you're whether we use the term tactical athlete, um, you have to understand the demand that you need on the system. And not to mention the fact that when you guys do email us, it would very much help us if you guys correctly identified what it is your goal actually is and get away from terms like fitness or healthy and and those are those are fine. I mean, those are the absolute byproducts of, you know, the training that we put together. 
but understand that the training that we do creates a certain adaptation within a particularly en particular energy system. And to give you guys an example and to make this make sense to some of you, if you guys we we use the term here at Softly Tactical Athlete, it's a very broad term. It's not really a new term. It's been around since roughly 2005 when when the military made this shift in looking at soldiers like professional athletes. And and that's where I mean that's that's my background, it's George's background. Brooke is an honorary member of special operations just cuz she works at Softly. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have put me through the ringer. We it's my own the, kind of boot there camp. You go. <laughs> um, but but what we saw is we saw this shift when we look at the demand on soldiers as you know treating them like professional athletes. So you you know back in the day you had the tactical athlete program, which I th I think was like Tenth Mountain. You had the Ranger Athlete Warrior, the RAW yeah. program. You know Special Operations, the Green Beret. You know SF. We had the Thor Three program, and every. Every brand, you know, across the military, we saw this development of like this, you know, tactical fitness type, you know, workouts or a, a new way to conceive of soldiers as professional athletes. So, you know, what we're talking about when we, you know, the things that you need in order to do your job and seeking out those specific adaptations first before you start tacking on all these additional adaptations that you want. You know, as an example, you know, if you are, if you find yourself in an environment where you're having to maneuver around obstacles, you know, things like agility matter, movement drills matter, your three cone drill that shows up in the stamina program matters, not because, you know, you might find yourself zigzagging between defenders on a, on a football field, but, but because you will need this, you know, you need agility to sprint back and forth between cover, right? So that's an adaptation, you know, muscular power, you need for sprinting you know if you're if you're if you're running like a hundred yards or less like that is one particular particular energy system that we tax you know in that like what was it speed strength or strength speed strength speed strength speed yeah. um you need that to sprint you need that to climb fences you know if, say for example, all right so if you're uh if you're a police officer right and you need to hold a you know you need to you know subdue or restrain a suspect. Like that's muscular strength being able to hold this person down or whether you're a Brazilian jiu-jitsu athlete, like holding this person down, uh, using your body weight, using your muscles, like that is that is muscular strength. Like that is, you know, being able to produce that amount of power continuously to continuously subdue this person is something that you train. You know, your aerobic capacity, whether you, you know, say going back to the police officer example, you know, if your your ATP production, you know, during your entire on foot chase needs to be on point and we don't know how long that's going to last. Right. You know, so that could last a minute that could last 10 minutes, you know, or however long could be fucking an hour. You chase exactly. Like, foot. yeah. So 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 developing these aspects of fitness is much, much you know, it, it becomes clearer once you correctly identify the adaptation that you're looking for. So if you're a tactical athlete, we assume that the adaptations that you require are those that are required for your particular job, which is why we structure some of the training the way we do. Now, for those of you guys who are not, you know, you're not chasing down suspects, you're not, you know, on these, you know, firefight type missions and overseas, uh, you're, you know, say you're, a, say you're a CrossFit athlete, right? You know, the, the different CrossFit events, you know, whether you look at the games and how 
there's a wide array of events ranging from very long and slow endurance type events, whether it's the cyclocross, I think at the last games, or, you know, your one rep max snatch, those are particular energy systems that all have to be trained. Um, you know, but, but to, to make this matter for most of us, really, really for anyone, the one thing that all athletes have in common, no matter whether, whether you are a stroller strong mom who pushes her baby around the block with your friends as the group workout, or you're, you know, the, the most elite CrossFit games athlete or most elite soldier in the world is you have to be able to manage, you manage your adaptations through managing stress. And in the tactical athlete realm, one thing that we have found is, and there will be a future blog post coming out of, of why tactical athletes are the hardest athletes to train. Um, Ooh, yeah. I like that. Well, because they are, right? Because, I mean, there, yeah. there is, in my, I would make the argument, and if anyone feels differently, please feel free to direct message me on Instagrams or Facebook or email. But I'm, I will make the argument that tactile athletes are the hardest athletes to train because of the, dem- the overall demand on the system, both mental and physical, is higher, right? Yes, CrossFit athletes will probably demand more out of their body physically. I don't, I, I, I'm not sold on their, you know, the mental requirements of their job. You know, they're not, they don't, you know, put life and death on the line for a competition, you know, and vice versa. So, 100%. so being able to manage anxiety, being able to manage your focus, you know, if you're a police officer, if you're a firefighter, if you are a military person, you know, you have this very, very high demand on the stress management system because your jobs are so mentally taxing and physically taxing to the point where, you know, you need to almost inject both of those aspects of training into your training itself. So we're not just looking at the the physical adaptations of, you know, working out. We're yeah. also looking at the physiological adaptations of stress management. And we and we exactly. tie it all back to, you know, for example, the cardiovascular load that we talked about all starting off with. Think about how just the day-to-day stresses of your work and your family and cortisol and stress hormones and, you know, arteries block, like, I mean, here's the thing, if your arteries start, start to, you know, harden up, right, you, you, you have already diminished the capacity for your heart to pump blood anywhere. So, and, and that is something that, you know, we see a lot of, especially within the military community, because of how people have learned to manage stress over the years. I mean, and it was, it can be as easy. I mean, if you have to throw back like a six pack to fall asleep every night, that's a problem, you know? And, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter if, if that's the road that you're going down, if that's your technique for stress management, you can have the loftiest fitness goals on the planet, but you, you will fail in the long term. You can't sustain that in the long term. And that's one thing that if we have not professed enough is, longevity longevity in your practice longevity as an athlete is the ultimate goal of soft lead programming it is not programmed towards peaks it's programmed towards distance so yeah. and 
so this kind of brings me into this idea, right? We keep talking about stress management and one thing that we do, and I'm going back to the programming and the one thing that we do really well within the programming and I feel like we've gotten even better with it to this day from when we started to now and that's just the evolving of the human performance from our coaches within Softly is that we're understanding fatigue management actually to a lot better now because we're able when people are so much more open to the idea of how to understand how to manage fatigue. For instance, this, we no longer believe that living in this high intensity realm seven days a week is going to go ahead and get us to the places we need, right? Because then at that time period, we're rushing pretty much overload in the system to go ahead and give us that maximum effective like dosing that we need to that, that goes ahead and disturbs the homeostasis to give us the adaptation that we're looking for right? So when it comes into managing fatigue, this is where like the nutrition program comes into because we've got to start worrying about not just the nervous system and how the body's responding and how the mind's responding. We actually have to look at now, how are we going to go ahead and implement this nutrition into this athlete during this time of overload in the training program or into this idea of fatigue management, right? And again, one thing you know I'm a really big fan of is Charlie Francis. Charlie Francis created this high-low method, who's a famous sprint coach back in the day. And you know, he created this high-low method where it's like, all right, cool, we should be training on those low days more specifically than we should be training the high days. Again, are the high days gonna go ahead and create this overload? Yes. And those high days need to be set up specifically to create that proper overload that we see. And the low days is what keeps you moving. It's the same idea now. Like, I'm not gonna like everyone's like, you know, how are you training so much? Or how are you doing this? How are you doing? that how you manage this and it comes back to not just anecdotal experience but also scientific based research that you know has been really big lately for all of us um in the realm of being like okay cool like i need to go ahead and not train high intensity five days out of the week instead train it twice depending on what my lifestyle is like and what my and what my stress is like because now i can manage my fatigue better and i can get into the weeds of like well okay cool like when we talk about fatigue management within a program like cool, you do a deadlift on a Monday, we're not going to have you go and do bent over rows or pendulum rows on a Tuesday because now that's going to go ahead and tax the CNS even more because we're putting more pressure or more uh, fatigue on the central nervous system of the posterior chain. Well, how about we go into fatigue management and handle that by putting a supported uh, dumbbell row instead to where you're taking pressure off that back where we just focused on that that way, right? There's just like undulating idea of fatigue management of that whole of that high and low method throughout the weeks of the programs and that creates this bigger idea of the programs to see the athletes create this proper overloading and this proper like adaptation and see their maximum recovering volume increase and that comes a lot from the idea again not just training because training is there but to make this whole athlete or this whole tactical combat athlete that we continue talking about again it's not just for the military athlete, it's everyday, everybody's lifestyle, right? Like the gym I train out out here right now, you know, it's a normal everyday mom and pop kind of gym that wanna come out and just train and have fun, cool. Like they're focusing on nutrition challenges, they're focusing on, um, you know, creating chaos in a controlled manner to see the proper adaptation. They've seen really good results out of that, right? Why? Because again, they're understanding fatigue management as a whole. It's not just about training. This is where the nutrition comes in. And, you know, Brooke, I'd like to get your two cents on this whole idea of fatigue management utilizing nutrition. I think the biggest thing is uh, not under eating and just fueling yourself properly and hydration. I think hydration is often overlooked when we're talking about athletic performance and nutrition. It's really important. And the average person, just like rough estimate, let's say two to three liters a day, but then everything you're sweating and you're losing, you need to be doing on top of that. Um, most people aren't going to weigh themselves and do sweat calculations. So I would just say definitely aim for three liters of water a day. Technically other liquids count. But I, I think it really should be 
if you just aim for three liters of water a day and you're getting other liquids on top of that, whether that's coffee or tea or whatever, um, you're going to be doing really well in that that sense. Um, I think the big thing with nutrition uh, that's constantly up for debate, it seems like, is the use of carbohydrates. And our main plan does have moderate carbohydrate split, and that is a part of kind of managing this whole entire system is that you need all three macronutrients in some way, shape, or form. The body uses them all and utilizes them all. There seems to be this misconception that, oh, I'm, I can only be a carbohydrate burner. I can only be a fat burner. And quite frankly, it's bullshit because your body uses these different substrates at different times through different energy processes. So your body does it all for you. This whole like metabolically adaptive thing drives me up the wall. You already are this like amazing metabolically adapted machine. So just fuel it properly and, and keep it in balance and be mindful. And then in the program, there's variability between your rest days and your active days. So on your rest days, you're actually consuming slightly less, um, not a huge difference, but it's slightly less and it's going to be a little less carbohydrate and a little less protein. You're not active. You don't need quite as much, but you absolutely still need quality nutrition if you're going to manage your workload and your fatigue. Yeah. And that's huge because it goes into the idea too, right? You're talking about like rest days and active rest days or active recovery days. And we try to avoid using it, but we still do. We go into the idea of like light training days and, it, and all that good stuff. And that kind of brings me to the idea of too, is like, well, how do we break down the softly programming in the app so athletes do see these things happen, right? And it goes again, we have light sessions, we have moderate sessions, we have hard sessions and we have non-training days, right? And those all manage and help us work towards this overload principle that we're working towards. The same thing with deload weeks and why do we utilize deload weeks well we're also using deload weeks so the nervous system that has accumulated fatigue over the two to three four weeks that we're using is now able to recover right and then we utilize low volume phases and moderate volume phases and high volume phases we can even throw intensity in there we're just now looking at okay cool how are we going to go ahead and manage these types of um ideas in the endocrine system from not just testosterone but to cortisol and the idea of like, well, okay, cool. What if we gave you a rest day and we hey, want you to go outside and walk for 30 minutes or swim for 30 minutes or go climb for 30 minutes at a light day or something super simple as yoga, right? These active rest phases or days are just there to help with healing the connective tissue that is needed. And also a, another approach is a nervous system recovery, right? Like those are things are huge. And by being able to pair all this together with the nutrition at the same time, because again, Chris said it perfect. The nutrition app, and Brooke, you haven't mentioned this yet, but the nutrition app makes you ev or evolves with you as you utilize it and being consistent. For example, I've used it before, and one thing I noticed is like, is what I noticed within the app is as I'm losing weight, I can actually adjust my numbers or adjust my weight and what I'm looking to what I'm currently at so my numbers adjust to me. So if I am on a maintenance phase and I do it for three months and I notice that I lost, how, I'm still the same or I've lost a little bit of weight, I wanna put those new numbers in and I wanna stay at maintenance, I'm gonna go ahead and follow maintenance again. But now if I've been on it for three months, cause again, 12 weeks is somewhat consistent for somebody and it sets a habit, I now be like, okay, cool. Now I can move to my cut or I can move to my bulk and understand that this is only gonna go ahead and fuel my training just as well. And I have to understand that as I'm trying to cut or I'm trying to gain weight, there's going to be other efforts and energy put other places so that we can adapt long term. And I do love the fact that you said this, that your body is is naturally adapting at all times and it's meant to adapt. Right. And this is one thing that I've realized in the realm of what I'm doing now is, as everyone knows, and you guys pay attention, but like 
for the listeners, I, I'm no longer eating red meat. I limit my intake on chicken and I eat nothing but fish and all this whole food plant-based approach now. My training for the past four weeks has been amazing. My recovery has been through the roof. And again, it's not like some kind of like lifestyle. It's more of like what helps me feel for performance, right? And what I feel good and I feel healthy. But at the same time though, I understand that with this training that I'm not eating just specifically fats. I'm not eating specifically carbohydrates. I'm eating it all. And my body is, as it becomes more aerobic to what I'm training and my style is, it's naturally utilizing more fats for energy instead of carbohydrates. Now, if I was starting to do more sprints and push super hard, my body would switch over and start using carbohydrates. It's just your body learns to adapt to what you're doing. For example, we look at we look, if you go ahead and put a rock climber in a room with an ultra runner and put a strongman athlete in a room with this, with all those guys, we go ahead and look at every single body type. Their body's all going to be different. Why? Because their body adapts to their training stimulus or their sport that they're doing as a whole. And yeah. that's the end of the day, right? And the same thing with our nutrition. Our nutrition, the same way like you mentioned, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we we our body's meant to adapt to whatever's going on and what we're putting into it. The same right. idea with whatever we're training, our body adapts to it naturally. I think that's why I have such a big issue with a lot of human performance research is they will do these crazy studies with 10 highly trained specific athlete groups. And then they try to apply this and be like, well, it worked for 10 ultra marathon runners. It's going to work for everyone. And that's just not how it works. So like George is mentioning, it is crucial that you stay in tune with your body and you understand what works for you and what doesn't. So like I have a lot of people who will look at the meal plan and say, well, you know, I know I don't respond well to gluten. I don't do gluten. Can I adapt it for me? Absolutely. I don't do gluten. Um, You can make it fit and just be comfortable with being creative and making substitutions in your cooking. And that's another thing is I'm here as a resource for the nutrition team. And, and I think that people are starting to understand that more and more. I'm very responsive on email and social media. And those are things I can help with. Like you have essentially a registered dietitian at your fingertips. If you really are going to utilize anything, everything that's in the app, there's a feed that I answer questions on and other people give really great feedback about what works for them or what doesn't or things they do and don't do. Um, and I think that that's a really powerful tool as well. Because like we said, there's never going to be a one size fits all. There is going to be a one size fits most. And we are here to help you guys make sure that we're tailoring it to exactly what you need for you. And just like kind of fine tuning everything. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, to if, if we, I think it was George that mentioned it, uh, at least it made me think about it. When we, when we look, when, we, when you guys take a look at, the training programs, you know, and we, and we take a look at, you know, understanding where you're starting from, you know, we, in a lot of sports specific training, um, a lot of sports specific training utilizes a screening process to help identify, you know, which regimen is best for you. And, and we would advocate for nothing different. In fact, you know, we are in the process of developing, you know, a, a screening process that will help you guys pick the right training program for you. And I think the the problem or the trap that a lot of you guys get into when you look at our training programs is the training program is not the screening. It's not a it's not a like if you are finding yourself setting yourself up for, you know, well, like I uh man, like I was I was pretty strong back in the day, but then, you know, I kinda life kinda happened and you know, I fell off a little bit. But no, but I'm I'm gonna be good. Like I think I can manage it. 
um, you're you're setting yourself up for failure because you're not doing a proper screening of yourself prior to starting these programs. Like it is not a success doesn't mean you can do all the things. Success means that you are taxing the energy system in the way that is optimal for you. And the you know we're we're trying, are trying, trying, trying our best to break people of this mentality that more is better. You know, that you don't need to do 18 workouts a day in order to experience <laughs> good training adaptation. You know, understand, you know, and, and there's there's screenings out there, right? Like the military has employed a screening process for your job called the OPAT, the Occupational Physical Assessment Test, right? Where, you know, depending on how you score, you know, influences your job. You know, we have this thing called the functional movement screen. Now, granted, like, yeah, there's a big difference between, you know, sports physical therapy and getting the elderly to walk again, you know, like, yes, if you can pass a functional movement screen that doesn't necessarily give me an indicator of, you know, how well you can put 300 pounds over your head in a snatch, but I guarantee you if you fail the movement screen, that is out of the question, at least in in the short term, right? So, like, there's screening techniques out there that you can use, you know, talk to your doctors, talk to, you know, other experts, you know, and, and I would, I would, I'm confident enough in what we do to say that if you wanted an outside of opinion or an outside opinion, seek it, yeah. right? I mean, we obviously, yes, we are kind of biased because we create these things, but nonetheless, we all borrow from the same set of principles that I think everyone else borrows from because we're not, we're not advocating for anything that's super outside of the norm. Um, but in any case, we would always recommend that you guys apply some sort of screening process, not to the training program itself, but to the adaptation that you guys are going to be seeking down the road. And is this the best option for me to get me to where I want to be? You know, and, and we talked about, you know, in the in the tactile athlete realm, being able to correctly identify the things that matter the most, right? You know, what makes great cops, great cops is not the size of their biceps as a product of super, this crazy hypertrophy work that you guys do from, you know, Muscle and Fitness Magazine. What makes great cops and great soldiers awesome at their jobs is not how they look, but it's how they perform. You know, can, you know, can you guys, if you're a firefighter, can you run up the stairs up and down with your hose and your gear and your stuff and not be out of breath by the time you get to the top? Like that matters so much more than, you know, how good you look in the yearly cal- or, you know, firefighter calendar shoot, right? <laughs> that is not an indicator of tactical fitness. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't matter because I get it. In the end of the day, everyone wants to look good naked. Of course, the irony of all that is you just want to be more confident. So if you want to look better naked, just spend more time naked because... I've, I mean, I've never seen a, a nudist. Are you about to run off to a nudist colony? No, I'm just saying, us? right? Like, how many times have you seen a nudist that is not confident in the way they look? Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a Ex- nudist. I haven't spent a lot of time in Europe or well, wherever people do that. Should don't know. Don't hang out where you do. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Thanks. <laughs> just hang out. Just no, yeah. stop going to those but internet sites. <laughs> this kind of just brings me back to this, and as we get ready to start closing out, I'm sure here, it goes back to the whole idea of the general adaptation syndrome, right? Like, the goal here is just to stack these small, like, models on top of each other throughout the week to where we continue seeing this undulating approach to the proper overload to the system so that we're allowed to develop this adaptations that we want, right? Again, because when we go ahead and look at performance, right, the goal is to increase performance over a long-term period. By doing that, it must be a very slow, methodical way to get us there. And one thing again, and 
I love the saying, and I'll say it all the time, you must go slow to go fast, right? It's the same idea when we used to go into kill houses and do live shooting around, uh, taking houses in. We used to do dry rehearsals and dry runs over and over and over and over until you're blue in the face. And then you literally got to go live in the house. What, Chris? I know for me, we'd go over... 50,000 times dry through the house and then maybe go live for three or four, three to five times. And that was it. 50,000. It's I'm, an exaggeration. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do a lot more yeah, dry runs know? than you do live runs. That's it's, correct. And, and it's kind of the same idea when I look at this whole training aspect idea, right? We got to create some kind of disturbance within the homeostasis. And then from there, we're going to go and see some kind of resistance. And from there, we will see exhaustion. But at the end of that exhaustion phase or that stage, if you did it properly, you will now go into this recovery stage or phase that it's going to go ahead and now work its way up to promote adaptation. And now we just raised that bar of performance a little bit higher. It might not have been by five points. It might have been by point. 0.05 points, which is fine, but if we go ahead and work at that every single day, that does accumulate to something yeah, and bigger and but, better and longer. And that's where you, you know, even as an athlete, you know, or, or a prospective athlete or someone who's looking to dive into this lifestyle, is you need to build a little bit of athletic discipline. You know, if this is if this is a lifelong passion, which we would advocate that it should be, you have to be okay with you know stacking up enough you know, 0 0.05 point victories in order to make your 10 point victory eventually, you know, and if, and if you do it that way, if you manage your stress accordingly, you know, across a broad spectrum, you're going to, you know, much, much more decrease your chance of injury. Um, you'll, you'll, you won't find yourself, you know, to the point where you're so overly taxed where you're just not functional. Um, and, and I think, you know, overall you'll, you'll have a better quality of life and it'll give you something to continuously strive for. Um, like I said, there is there is no you know fast roads to anywhere we were trying to advocate to go in this realm. So take it step by step, take it day by day. Um, yeah, yeah. Guys. I mean, yeah. Understand that chaos is good, but controlled chaos is better. <laughs> controlled chaos is better. I'm a master of yeah. chaos. If you're <laughs> Linda, Linda Robinson wrote a book way back in the day called Masters of Chaos. It was the story of special forces. No big deal. No big deal. But so, um, all right, guys. Well, anyone, Brooke, you got any any closing comment, shout outs you want to give to all your you know vegetable evangelists out there? You are the patron saint now of all these little vegetable evangelists. That you I thought been. I was just the patron saint of thing one and thing <laughs> two. That's true. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I hope it reached all of you in a particular way as you guys approach another week of training. Anyways, if you guys have any questions specifically regarding any of our training programs, please feel free to reach us at, you can reach us directly, either george at softly.com, chris at softly.com, or help at softly.com. If you got, you know, nutrition advice that you're looking at, don't, I got you. You don't got to raise your hand and be like, what's up? Oh, I'm going to throw my hands at don't, you. Don't, don't, don't even don't start, bro. Hands. Don't even start. <laughs> If you guys got anything nutrition related or anything in that realm, Brooke at softly.com is, uh, is, is more than happy to help you all out. I am at Namaslea now on the Instagrams. Garage Garage Ferrari 2.0, no longer the Garage Ferrari or the Celibate Saltine as Brooke kindly created for me. <laughs> I can't get rid of it. So we decided we're just going to... Make it a parody account and and Photoshop blonde tips onto all just, of Chris's pictures. Just know that it I'm is down. Not Let's me. do that. I'm totally <laughs> do it. 
<laughs> you guys are ridiculous. Anyways, guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to you guys tuning in next week. Yeah. Thanks for letting me uh, nerd out, guys. All right, now I'm going to stop recording. <laughs> mm.